false narratives. The science fiction writer Ursula K. Le Guin said, "The unread story is not a story; it is little black marks on wood pulp. The reader, reading it, makes it live, a live thing, a story." Could the same be said of our lives? That the unknown life is not a life, but a mark in time and space. It is awareness of our spiritual narrative that gives our lives meaning. It is the quality of the consciousness we cultivate in our lives that helps us reveal the deeper meanings and subtleties of our experience. A few years ago, I stopped a practice unfitting for me. I stopped trying to produce a fruitful relationship in a non-conducive environment. That's spiritual talk for I stopped hitting on women in bars. I had the following experience several times. Hi, I'm Josh. Tell me a little bit about yourself. Well, I'm just really into not knowing what I want right now and figuring things out," said whatever her name was. I was frustrated that not knowing what one wants seemed to be a fad. I wondered what it was that Starbucks might be putting into its frappuccinos or what subliminal messages might be playing in Jack Johnson's songs. I quickly realized that my frustrations were being misdirected. I was frustrated with myself. I was the one trying to find a fruitful relationship at the bar. I was the one going to the apple tree and expecting it to grow oranges. Both of these examples—the woman who is really into not knowing what she wants and my trying to find love at the bar—are examples of living false narratives. For the woman, it may be because she's imitating other women who don't know what they want as an excuse to avoid responsibility for choices and behavior. As for me. I may have fallen into following a guy ritual. Invest your time and treasure into something that, besides a headache the next morning, will rarely provide meaningful results. This kind of false narrative is a sort of pulp living. The pulp novel was popularized in the 19th century as a book which focused purely on entertainment. Cycling through the same plot elements, it employs a formula that works well: guy gets girl, hero saves day, and repeat. Pulp authors were known in some instances to write dozens of books a year. Pulp living is not quality living. It lacks awareness and seeks only to experience the same thing over and over again. Of course, pulp writers could set a romance novel during World War One, or introduce a new, seemingly more powerful villain into your comic book, but the outcomes would still be the same. Unfortunately, in our lives, the outcomes are often not that we are heroes. But instead, are experiencing dramas that leave us feeling lifeless, if not soulless, like the pulp novel that is meant to be read only once. The pulp life is the disposable life. As the pulp novel seeks to entertain, so does the pulp life seek only entertainment. It requires no meaning or intimate connections, living not for the eyes of the most knowledgeable, but for the eyes of the masses. The pulp life tries its best to fit in. How do we live a deeper life? We live not for entertainment alone, but choose to seek meaning. We live not in the eyes of the masses, but develop our own vision. In the Matrix, Neo is given a choice: the freedom of knowing the truth about life and the challenges that come from that knowing, or a life of ignorant pleasure. Morpheus offers two pills: take the red and be free. Or take the blue and return to the matrix and forget that the choice ever happened. In our daily lives, knowing the truth or living in ignorance is a choice, or is it perhaps as if we take both pills? 
We must find balance in two worlds, and through our own diligent efforts, bring them both together. If we are not living our lives mindfully and authentically, then who or what is? Someone or something else. If we do not think for ourselves, what thinks for us? Someone or something else. This could be the group think of Americans, or of a religious group, or of high school girls across the nation, or how the hero might think in the last movie you watched. Not what you think, but knowing what you think is the foundation of genius. It is not until we take ownership of our minds that we can begin taking constructive responsibility for how we live. There are some conclusions we come to in our lives that are harmful. Life will never be as good as when I failed. It's over. I am not deserving. They nurture our victimhood, our resentments, fears, and judgments, and misconstrue what the truth is about ourselves, our lives, and others. In reviewing our life story, we will find parts where our spiritual narrative envelops us and carries us along. We will certainly also find places where we've lost our spiritual narrative and it seems as though our souls and its table of contents has vanished. Our true story becomes lost in falsehoods and narratives not truly our own. Reclaiming our true story involves setting ourselves free from any place our true story does not rule and releasing ourselves from falsehoods we've endured or mistaken as true about ourselves. For all my failings in life, one good thing I can say about them is that they are consistent. There is the line in a Jackson Brown song, These Days, which goes, Don't confront me with my failures. I have not forgotten them. Our lives give us the opportunity to make the same mistakes, and my mistakes are generally ones of inaction. Not speaking up, not drawing a boundary with someone, acting out of fear instead of confidence. I don't think life continues to confront me with my failures in order to be mean, but I continue to bring them to life so that I might have the opportunity to overcome them. The truest lessons of life are not moral lessons, be kind to others or don't steal, nor are they lessons about the ways of the world, survival of the fittest or money doesn't grow on trees. The truest lessons of life are lessons about who we are. Who am I really and what happens as I evolve? It is in this learning that I believe we find ourselves growing into a greater freedom, a greater sense of who we are, and a greater sense of living. Our stories don't progress by waiting for things to happen. They progress when we ourselves step forward. We live a false narrative when, intentionally or not, we live a story that isn't our own. When you try to retrace the steps of your mother or attempt to live the life you think she wants you to live. When you think less about yourself because of a bad experience and start playing the role of victim. When you deny your own passion and conscience and try to live on the best people list in the eyes of the world. When you separate yourself from your own uniqueness and passion and fall into the default activity of your gender or your class or your culture when you refuse opportunities to answer a calling in your life in an attempt to feel safe in your self-created bubble. Our true story always exists, just as we may find that the truth is always around here somewhere. As it is a part of who we are, it will always call us, yet we can become deaf to it. The truth will never give up on us, but the truth is not like a lover who will follow us down as low as we might go and compromise itself. 
The truth cannot regress in order to suit us. We must evolve to understand it. If we do not think for ourselves, something else thinks for us. When we don't truly live our own lives, we will find ourselves mistakenly trying to live someone else's. We may try to fulfill a parent's narrative. We may so avoid the call to be the hero in our own story that we slip into a stereotypical character, be it a sidekick or a villain. All character types are as true to life as they are in the movies. Our truest character only emerges, however, when we become an authority for our own purpose. How do we tell the difference between a false story and our spiritual narrative? In one sense, it is as simple as asking ourselves, is the story I am telling myself and are the choices I am making in accordance with my highest values? If the story you are telling and the choices you are making are about something else, then it is not your true story and you are out of alignment with your spiritual narrative. If our stories are focused on whether something is a success or a failure, we may also be caught up in a false narrative. Our spiritual narrative does not know success or failure. It is not concerned with outcomes, but with realizing the soul's theme, the love you seek to embody, the wholeness you want to exemplify, the intimacy you want to create. A spiritual narrative isn't about what you might accomplish. Rather, it is about how you are becoming more fully who you are. There are no heroes or villains, victims or perpetrators, winners or losers. We are also losing contact with our spiritual narrative if we are in judgment about what we believe should have happened by now or will never happen. Our spiritual narrative is timeless. Our story is how it expresses through time. Although passing through time we have moments on mountains and in valleys, or in comedy or tragedy, the spiritual narrative has our highest and best in mind. Our spiritual narrative has always been there, and it continues to evolve as we embody and understand it more deeply. Among the evidence I see for spiritual narrative is that even when I am caught up in believing and living a false story for myself, my spiritual narrative is still there. The spiritual narrative is always the stronger story. And as, in any good story, when the hero falls asleep, or gets trapped, or forgets why he or she is here, the spiritual narrative has a way of reminding him or her of the true story. In Gnostic Christianity, there is a fable called the Hymn of the Pearl. A young prince is sent on a journey to retrieve a pearl from the bottom of the sea in Egypt. He is dressed in the finest clothes of his homeland. When he arrives in Egypt, he starts towards his objective but gets distracted. He gets caught up in the culture. He changes his clothes, gives in to the offerings, and forgets all about why he is really there. His family from back home sends an eagle with a letter attached. At first, he doesn't even remember them, but it is a reawakening. It reminds him of who he is and why he is there. He immediately goes to the sea, lures the serpent to sleep, and retrieves the pearl. The prince in the story represents each of us. His homeland is the heavenly realm our souls come from. In the story, Egypt symbolizes the world and the senses. The pearl under the sea is the truth of who we are, the one in which we must dive deep within to retrieve. We all live in the world, but we can't avoid creating a story. The question is, will that story take us closer to self-knowledge and true living, 
or further away.